Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How is it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a grab bag of summer off-season topics. Madden 21 is a hot topic. I'll tell you my Madden playing experience and the ultimate cheat code I used in every single big spot. Plus, in honor of the Fish Tank podcast releasing their top 10 episodes in show history, we'll do a top 10 salute to Juice and Seth. And inspired by Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network, I want to take a look at the best skill or the best move or best trait of a lot of players here on the Dolphins roster. And we'll close it up by paying tribute to the great Jim Kick. All of that and more on this Monday, June the 22nd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And the summer solstice is one of the most beautiful times of year, the beautiful occurrences of year. I don't know what it is about this time of year when the weather starts to really, really get hot. And remember for me currently still until next month, at least I'm up in the Northwest where it's not 100 degrees until late June or into July, deep into August as well. But there is just something about being in the pool or on the lake or on the river. Apparently it has to be a body of water, probably enjoying a couple of adult beverages and listening to some football podcasts with your friends or music, whatever it might be. I think it has more to do with the fact that football is near more than anything else, but we always wind up talking about football when you are out in the summer events, and I just love it. So we are here in the peak of the summer solstice. We just put a bow on Father's Day. I hope everybody enjoyed their Father's Day and a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And I think a good place to start for this first time Father's Dayer in myself is to go back to when I wasn't thinking about celebrating Father's Day. It was the furthest thing from my mind back in my youth when I was a full-blown addict to the Madden video games. The midnight release every year, going down to GameStop was an event in and of itself. And it always ruined the rest of the week for me because I was staying up till four or five o'clock in the morning. You would get up at, you get home around 1230 after the midnight release, fired up on franchise mode. And then from there, you can't just quit a couple hours later. You have to get five, six games into your first season done. And that's what I did every single year. But then at a certain point, I think it was like Madden 07, I discovered online play. And that was the addiction got full fledged at that point. And again, this was back in 2007, 2008, that era of PlayStation 2. There's something about the mapping and player movement once they made the jump to the PS3 that just didn't do it for me. And I even see it now, the type of gameplay they have on the newer consoles. And that's just me, I suppose. I'm more partial to more old school games. I just don't like the way it moves. There's something about the moving and the mapping on those new school consoles. And so in honor of Lamar Jackson deservedly getting the Madden cover this year, And the fact that it seems like we're seeing Madden all over social media this past week, the timeline and the like, I wanted to share some of my Madden experiences from a decade ago, a decade plus ago. And first, the play that I went to when I had to have it, every single game I think you play in Madden, there's a moment of third down, a crucial drive, you have to get that drive into the end zone. 
And let's be real, this was cheating. My brother hated it more than anything else. He always said I was cheating when I ran this play. And I saw the question posed online on Twitter, who is the greatest Dolphins Madden player in the history of the game? And there was no other answer. I had one answer in my mind that just trumped everything else, and that was Ted Ginn. Why? Well, one, vertical routes, 99 speed took care of everything in that game. You didn't even have to have skills in the receiver set. Just as long as they ran 99 speed, they were a good player. But playing with those 08-09 era Dolphins, and I would bench Henning Pennington to go to Chad Henney. I know, I know, sacrilege. But because of the arm strength, I wanted to have the vertical game, so it had to be Henney. So there was this play, and I want to say it was called Jailbreak Screen, but as I say that out loud, it doesn't sound right. I know that was the name of the Blitz, the Jailbreak Blitz. Maybe it was just a bubble screen. That's all they called it. It was out of 11 personnel, receiver to the left side of the formation. And the right defense, there was one correct defense that could thwart this play, but the opponent never actually did that to get this done to get the screen pass taken care of and if you just fanned out the defensive line I think there was a some sort of check you could make on the defensive side of the ball where you fanned out the defensive line so the ends would rush out and then come back in and kind of hook around the offensive tackles and if you had them run that hook they really put a stop to this play but they just never ran that play I recall Julius Peppers with the Panthers was a tremendous pen in the ass not just for that play this play in general but pass rushing in general off of your right tackle because in this era that was back when your right tackle was not as good as your left tackle like it is in today's NFL where tackle positions are basically agnostic but anyway you take the snap and immediately sprint all the way to the right you draw the rush all the linebackers over to the quarterback and chase him where he's obviously not going to be a threat to run to the wrong side of the field but it didn't matter if the defense was in man or in zone because the play got so scattered from the sprint right anyway and then once you got all the way clear you would just throw the screen all the way back to the other side of the field to Teddy Ginn who's sitting there with 99 speed open field He's got maybe one or two guys out in front of him, but he's got a wall of blockers because the offensive line bailed out that way and your quarterback took care of the pass rush by going the other way. It worked every single time sans Julius Peppers. And I was pretty damn good at Madden despite the cheap play I ran. I think my online record was 85 and 12 or something like that. That's just spitballing when I eventually hung it up because they went to the later platforms, the PS3. I ran like six plays. I just hot checked out whatever the defense was showing, would check it out, make my checks from there and attack relentlessly. Had a good running game with Ronnie Brown as well. And speaking of the Panthers, I actually had a game one time. I think it was Madden 09. It was one of the later games in my Madden online career where I eventually found out that I was playing against Panthers cornerback Chris Gamble through a series of questions he told me that he was Chris Gamble he grew up in South Florida wasn't a fan of the Dolphins and I asked him why because he grew up there he told me he was a Panthers fan and eventually he said he was a Panthers fan because he played for the Panthers and so a little 13 year old me starts quizzing him on certain plays about Chris Gamble's career the Ohio State Miami National Championship game I'm sure a lot of you Dolphins and Canes fans out there don't want to think back about that one so I played against Chris Gamble and of course your boy got the W in that game Madden was a lot of fun back in my youth I just don't play anymore but we do have Lamar Jackson on the cover of Madden this year 
and that will be the last time I talk about Madden on this podcast because we're not a video game podcast. So that was Ted Ginn's most dangerous trait, the flat-out speed. And I saw a tweet, I think it was on Friday, by Benjamin Solak. And a quick funny story about Benjamin Solak. Really good guy. I actually met him in Indianapolis this year at the Scouting Combine, and we chatted for a solid half hour about football in between player media availabilities. And he followed me on Twitter on, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and I sent him a DM saying that hey is in the barn, baby, we got you. And he goes, I have no idea why I wasn't following you this whole entire time. I thought that I was. I went to your timeline, saw that I wasn't, and felt really stupid. So he followed me back. I always wondered why, because we are friends. I enjoy his content. He enjoys my content. He didn't throw me that follow, but he finally did. So Ben, I appreciate that. And in honor of Ben, I'm going to go ahead and steal an idea that Ben had on Twitter talking about what aspect of a player's game, one of your favorite players, do you think that most fans, more casual so fans, are not aware of? And his inspiration was the hump move inside for Saints interior defensive lineman David Onyemeta. And it really got me thinking about which Dolphins fall into that category. And rather than calling it an elite move, I just want to go over some of the best moves for some, not all, of the Dolphins roster because I just don't have the scouting depth on all 90 guys to give you that. But let's just go ahead and start here and go by position. We'll start at the quarterback position with Ryan Fitzpatrick. To me, when I first watched his tape when the Dolphins signed him last year, it was the trust in his eyes, the ability to see what he liked and to trust that he saw the processing board both post-snap and pre-snap to make that read, to make that throw, and to fit that thing in there. And I think we saw that time and time again last year. There was a touchdown pass in the Giants game to Devontae Parker up the seam. Parker's in the slot, runs a straight vertical seam route, and fits, sees it pre-snap, knows he has a tight window with his cornerback underneath, safety over the top, and he rips that thing and fits it in there for a gorgeous, gorgeous touchdown pass. I think if you search my name on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL and Fitzpatrick and Parker, I think that play comes up as a video if you want to go check that out. So for Fitz, definitely the trust in his eyes and the trust in his preparation pregame to go ahead and attack the defense accordingly. For Tua Tungavailoa, there's plenty of options here. I would say the trust in his eyes also is there. I love the way he manipulates rush angles when pass protection breaks down, but I think you would be foolish to not say ball placement because of his downfield accuracy all throughout his college career, just laying handoffs to guys that run 4-3, 4-4, 40s, putting the ball right in stride for long touchdowns. You go back to Alabama's 2018 tape, they were just an aerial show unlike anything college football had ever seen. And a lot of those big touchdowns and big production numbers for that offense was a result of elite level ball placement throwing down the football field. Josh Rosen, I think just his sheer arm strength and the way he can layer certain throws. Like I love the backside crossing route, the deep over route where they come in behind the line or behind the linebacker and in underneath the safety. And he can kind of layer those throws out there. He can definitely hit every blade of the grass with his arm strength. At running back, Jordan Howard, I think that his vision and you kind of can compartmentalize this into his sheer vision, but there are certain aspects of zone running or even gap running that a player has to have certain vision for. And on these zone reads with that Chicago Bears scheme with the Eagles last year, the way he can press the hole that the play is designed to go to and then make his decision based upon the flow of the linebackers, the leverage of the defensive line to bounce it outside, to bang it inside, or to cut back backside, his vision in that way is elite. We had Brett Coleman of the inside or the film room 
show on YouTube. He came on the podcast and broke down Jordan Howard's game. I think it was back in March, I want to say, maybe early April, but he has a YouTube episode on Jordan Howard where he breaks that down very in-depth, very, very quality content there from Brett Coleman. With Matt Breida, I mean, what else is it? His flat-out speed, that Ted Ginn speed, that 99 speed, he can flat-out burn, and he is an ultimate angle eraser in the second level. At receiver, Devontae Parker, there's a lot of options here for Devontae. I think you take his contested catch ability, but I don't want to just throw that blanket out there because that's really kind of a generic statement. More so the way he uses his frame to his advantage. We've seen him by the way he leaps down the football field, and even when he missed times, his jumps, he can still kind of, it seems like, suspend himself in midair and still pluck that thing down. It's so much fun to watch the way he attacks the football in the air, but just the way he uses the frame to create separation when he is a little bit tightly guarded, the way he can box out like on slant routes or square in routes, he catches the ball away from his frame with his hands and that serves a double purpose because when you catch the football that way, Typically, those types of guys don't have high drop numbers, and Devontae's pretty solid in that regard, catching the football when it's on his body. So the way he uses the frame, his frame, to box out and make catches in those contested areas, love that about Devontae's game. For Preston Williams, the way he stacks. We saw it throughout training camp, preseason, into the season. There's a catch up against, I think it was Levi Wallace in the Buffalo game, in Buffalo, where the cornerback's playing outside leverage, so Preston releases inside and then gets back on top with an arm bar and stacks the cornerback. And once they're stacked on on the receiver's back, they have to go through the body to get to the football. That's what you want to do. You want to stack the defensive back, and Preston Williams is really good in that area. For Jakeem Grant, easy as pie. His release off the line of scrimmage. I just... If I've seen if someone's jammed Jakeem, I don't think I've seen it yet. He's tough to jam because of the size and release and quickness that he has. For Albert Wilson, obviously the tackle breaking, the ability to start and stop in the open field and make guys miss. That house of a lower half he has, just built like a brick house. He is so good after the catch with the football in his hands. Along the offensive line, Austin Jackson, the control that he has out in space. I love watching his USC tape for the way he gets out in open space and makes crucial blocks on screen games or whether it's outside run plays. Him in space, he is so controlled and so athletic. Fun to watch that guy do his work out in the open field. For Eric Flowers, the sheer power in a phone booth. You watch the way he strikes, the hand fight, the way he can really shock the defensive line when they first get to him and make that first contact because he is so big and so powerful. With Ted Karras at center, the intelligence and communication, you always see him passing off and knowing when to double, when to fall off, when to find extra work, the way he communicates the calls of the quarterback. Love what Ted Karras does from a leadership standpoint on the interior of your offensive line. And for Robert Hunt, it's similar to Eric Flowers with the sheer strength and power. And I love watching the way they hit their combo blocks and the way they can ragdoll defenders. My gosh, it's fun to watch. To me, offensive line tape for a lot of people probably isn't very much fun to watch. But when you watch guys physically just move someone against their will, that to me is football in a nutshell. And I love watching that stuff. And Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, and Eric Flowers can all get that done because of that sheer sheer size and strength. Jesse Davis, I like the way he uses his hands to help redirect and to help get himself back into a position if he has to recover to work back inside on a spin move or whether it's a speed to power move off the outside. He tends to find a way to get his hands in the right place and that helps his feet get aligned and stay on balance as he works back to counter 
whatever type of rush move the defensive end, the pass rusher, is going to throw at him, both inside and outside. And Michael Dieter, I like the way he works in combo blocks. He can catch and climb, get to the second level, first hit that initial chip on the defensive lineman, and then climb to the linebacker and hit that second level block. On the other side of the football, on the defensive side and on the line in particular, Christian Wilkins, this is one of the toughest ones because I just like so much about Christian's game and he's so well-rounded and so versatile, but I have to just say the quickness off the snap and the penetration, that's what he was known for in college. He won with that a lot in the National Football League last year in his rookie season, and it's a testament to him how he's able to round out the rest of his game, but man, that speed, quickness, and penetration off the line, it's really what I think makes him stand out above his peers. Devon Godshaw, the sheer strength in his hands. I'm curious if that dude can crack, you know, if he doesn't even need a nutcracker, he can probably crack a walnut in his bare hands because the way he can grip and lock out and then disengage, it's so fun to watch. It led to the most run stops last year on pro football focus with 33 of any interior defensive lineman because of the way he stacks up and disengages because of the strength in those hands. And Zach Sealer, we don't talk about this guy enough, I don't think, but his hand usage and the length that he displays and the ability to keep his eyes up over his hands when he does lock out and make the read and make the play accordingly. We saw that plenty down the stretch last season. Emmanuel Ogba, his length and the ability to convert speed to power off the outside it really benefits the rush contained scheme when you have that type of length and then to go ahead and throw that speed off the edge because he is athletic enough to throw a speed rush, but then to convert that 275 pound frame and that length and that wingspan into sheer power, it can reset the right tackle. We talked about this on previous podcasts, how you reset those guys and it creates one-on-one opportunities for the linebackers, for the edge rushers, for the games you want to run, for all the blitzes. So his ability to overwhelm with that speed to power and length, I think is Emmanuel Ogden. Ball's best idea. Shaq Lawson, the way he dents the edge and the tenacity he plays with attacking guys trying to pull, whether it's a backside pulling guard, whether it's a split zone tight end coming across the formation, the way he goes after those guys and initiates the contact and controls the rep and resets the line of scrimmage in the running game. Love the way Shaq Lawson plays off the edge out there in the run game. As the edge players go, Van Noy, just his pass rush refinement, man. This guy is so refined in the way he gets after the quarterback. And I think in particular the way he can dip off the edge you see him throw the initial hand usage and then dip underneath the outside shoulder of the tackle he is well versed in so many pass rush moves but I love the way he runs the arc with that dip for Vince Beagle he was kind of the inspiration for the initial tweet for me on this thread his spin move that he throws you work upfield you force the vertical set of the tackle spin back across their face he is deadly with that move just ask his brother Andrew Van Ginkle the way he processes routes and coverage loved it at Wisconsin loved it in the preseason then he goes on IR comes back later Late in the year, and we see the exact same thing. I have videos of him doing this in the Patriots game again. If you just type in my name on Twitter at Wingfield NFL and the player's name, you're probably going to find some video work. And with Van Ginkle, the way he can process the curl flat area, and that's basically the short pass, like a hitch or a little square in route, a quick dig inside from a receiver or out to the flat, the running backs, the tight ends running those flat routes. He does so well to process those route combinations and make the play accordingly. As far as off ball linebacker, go, Jerome Baker, his range and trigger are two things that really stand out to me. And those are basically byproducts of his speed, the way he can get sideline to sideline, but also the way he triggers going forward as a blitzer in pass rush. Love watching how fast he explodes out of his initial stance. His former Ohio State teammate, Raekwon McMillan, very simple here. 
the way he defeats blocks, but not just the physicality because we know that about 52's game. I love watching this guy pop the pads in practice, but the diagnose, diagnostics, diagnosis, the keys he has there, the way he can key a fullback and where he's aligned or reading the backside guard and the way he fits his gap in the run game, he is so much fun to watch. Old school linebacker. I feel like we have to get that guy a neck roll. And Landon Roberts is a similar in a lot of those same ways, but he has intelligence the way McMillan does paired with that physicality. I think that's what makes those two guys such good football players, such good linebackers is the intelligence and physicality. What more do you need in a football player than that? And then Kamu Gruje-Hill, similar to Van Ginkle, the coverage processing, the way he knows where to get to his landmarks and coverage, and then to process from there and close down and make plays accordingly. This is a guy last year at Eagles camp that had heads turned. We talked about it in his podcast, how when he went down with the injury, you could hear a nail drop because there was so much expectation and so much excitement about Kamu Gruje-Hill. I cannot wait to see him get back on the field here now with the Miami Dolphins. And finally, in the defensive backfield at safety, Eric Rowe. There's a lot of options here too. I want to pick something for his run defense because he's so solid there. But I've been watching these games like I talk about every single podcast, it seems. And there are so many examples where he has to get in trail and kind of gets in behind the crossing receiver or crossing tight end on these mesh concepts and his ability to close on the ball while the ball's in flight and get that outside hand around and punch the ball out. I love the closing speed on the ball in flight from Eric Rowe, Bobby McCain, change of direction, oily hips and ball skills, all that pairs together. The way he can kind of flip those hips and turn and run, very good usage inside for coverage and also helps him back deep at safety as well. That's why he's so versatile for this football team. Noah Igbenogany, another first round draft pick for your Miami Dolphins. The athletic ability shows up every damn time you watch this guy. When I watch him play, I simply do not believe that he only played cornerback for two years. And when you sprinkle more seasoning onto this guy, it's going to be so much fun to watch him play football. So his sheer athletic ability, he is a freak, the son of two Olympians there at Auburn. And he showed that day in and day out at Auburn. Also, the coaching staff there said he was the most competitive player they'd ever been around. That's Gus Malzahn. He's been around the block a few times. They said this guy was so competitive and he brought that to practice every single day. For Nick Needham, the footwork, he has so such sweet feet, the way he can transition in and out of breaks, really serves him well in the short areas and the quick hitting routes where there's just a couple of steps. You break it off the top of the stem. He can really help transition and flip and run with those guys. For Adrian Colbert, the hitting and the physicality, he's a real tone setter on your defense, and he just looks big on the football field. First off the bus type of guy. I love the way he flows downhill and hits people. Another rookie, Brandon Jones, his play speed and instincts. When you watch Texas tape, he wore 19 in college. You can really see this guy show up every single rep. He flies to the football. He's so active and just so involved. Fun to watch him play football. And speaking of Brandon Jones, we have a long-form interview with, with both Brandon himself and Coach Tom Herman at Texas. And we'll talk to Brandon's mom. Get to know the kid off the field, on the field. Do not miss that podcast coming out sometime this week. I'll go ahead and let you guys know when that podcast is out. And I saved... This little bit for last because Byron Jones is kind of the reason I wanted to get into this topic. I mentioned Vince Beagle, but Byron Jones, yeah, he's not going to be the underrated elite traits guy because everybody knows who Byron Jones is because he's one of the NFL's elite cornerbacks. By now, you've heard me talk about his ability to lock down top end receivers in the National Football League. But one of the reasons he comes up here is because I've been watching these NFL Network re-airs, which by the way, just show us all the games. I want to see every game you've got 
in the vault there and really enjoying watching these old football games. But Byron Jones with the Dallas Cowboys, they've been showing games from 2016, 2017, 2018, and number 31's consistently on the field in these games. And I watch the way he plays, and they mostly keep him on one side of the field in Dallas there. But one thing that I really like to watch about him is the way he varies his coverages and his looks. He'll show you press, he'll bail. He'll show off coverage and then come down and cover up tight and press. He just does so much things. He's so versatile. He mixes it up so well. And I watch the way he processes things. And this is part of playing off coverage where he can kind of see the play develop in front of him. He's so impressive in the way he processes. And he really is kind of the captain of that defense. At least recently he was in the way he communicates the coverage, the structure of the coverage, the structure of the defense. He's a lot of fun to watch. And I just think that pairs so incredibly well with the guy you have on the other side of the football field, who for my money is the best press man, press cover corner man in the National Football League. And he, of course, Xavier Howard has the best inside hand jam of anybody in the NFL. Those two guys working together with the way they kind of pair off each other and the skill sets they offer. I just think that those two cornerbacks together, my goodness, you're going to be tough. It's going to be tough for anybody else in the National Football League to top the skill sets the Dolphins have with Jones on one side and Howard on the other side. Those two together has to be one of the most fun things to watch this entire year for the Dolphins. And on the topic of things that are fun to watch and listen to, OJ McDuffie did his dad joke of the day on Twitter on Sunday to help celebrate Father's Day. And in honor of OJ and the Fish Tank podcast here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, I had this clip cut off the day before my daughter was born when they released the episode for Ricky Williams. But I want to go ahead and play it for you now because I think it's just fun as a Dolphins fan. And the way I worked it into this podcast was that they have their top 10 episodes out couple of episodes with Channing Crowder. I think Joy Taylor was one of the episodes, Jeff Darlington, but Ricky Williams remains the number one episode in the history of the Fish Tank podcast. And in preparation for this top 10 list, I went back and looked as much content as I could with Ricky Williams making those runs throughout the course of his Dolphins career. And the thing that you noticed about most of these runs from Ricky was that most of the time it came from some form of counter action where you fake one direction, a little bit of misdirection and come back the other way. You're going to get a counter step from the running back. The quarterback pivots to the backside before twisting around play side for the handoff. And this is kind of a natural timing mechanism that helps power or helps you in the power run game when you have pulling action from the backside. And my God, was Jamie Nels devastating on those blocks in the open field. There's a play in the game against Indy in 2002 where Nails pulls playside. That's a tongue twister. But Nails pulls playside and just wipes out two potential tacklers. Man, that was fun to watch with Ricky back there as the ball carrier behind that good offensive line. His most unique trait for me was the way he squared up to the line of scrimmage in the A gap or the B gap to get the defender to come down and close and break down because they always tell you, even from high school to Pop Warner, whatever it was, break down, make the tackle, right? So he would force these defenders to break down in the box. Then he has that lateral hop step, which is unmatched in NFL history, in my opinion. And then from there, the acceleration to hit the gas and go zero to 60. And the way he finished those runs with both speed and power, just the best, man. He was the best I've ever seen. I know I'm only in my young 30s, early 30s, but 
for my money, he's the best running back I ever saw. So top 10 Ricky runs as a Dolphin, and there were more than enough. So I had to cut a few of them out of this list because there were just some runs. Like for instance, the 54-yard touchdown run against Seattle in 2008. Yeah, it was a big run in a big game that we had to get, but he was the play was well blocked and he just raced through the hole untouched. A great run, no, no doubt about that. Speed definitely kills, but he's got better ones. Like for starters, our number 10, Ricky Williams run as a Miami Dolphin. Second and four. Williams again. Gaping hole. Oh. Touchdown. I'm going to tell you, if I were Isel Reese, I'd stay away from him. Because Isel Reese stepped up and he knocked, he knocks him into the end zone from the two-yard line. And I mean he knocks him. Watch this, folks. Now he's square. Bang. And it was just a 10-yard touchdown run, but the the tone that that run set in that game, it was such a physical game. We talked to a Rondé Gadsden on the Fence Flashback podcast a few weeks ago about that contest and how physical it was, and Gadsden told me that was probably the top two or three games in terms of physicality he ever played, but Ricky just brought the punch and really got some tough yards in that game. It set the tone. It got the Dolphins on the board. It was a very Ricky run, speed and power, and just bowling through a guy on the end zone. Number 10, 2002 touchdown run against the Denver Broncos. Run number nine is a 24-yard touchdown run on Sunday Night Football back in 2003. It was, at the time, a go-ahead touchdown. It would serve as the game winner on Sunday night against Washington. Dolphin drive, same score. Ricky for the win. Touchdown. And there's no play-by-play of that particular game as far as the audio call, but Ricky makes a move in the gap on a third and one play and races to vic- to the end zone, shows him the taillights, and races the Dolphins to victory in that game. Run number eight in the top 10 Ricky Williams Miami Dolphins runs. We stay in primetime and head out to Charlotte. Miami, 405 to go. Ricky Williams. Chase by Martin Ricky Williams. Touchdown. And that was a 46-yard touchdown run against the Carolina Panthers on a Thursday night football game. A short turnaround there on the road. Always a difficult ask to go on the road on a short week and get a victory, especially when Ronnie Brown went down the previous week. So Ricky was the man at that point, and he bust out a 100-yard rushing game, scored three touchdowns in a Dolphins win. And the biggest reason I chose that run as number eight was because Ricky was in the later stages of his career in 2009, but he ran right by two defensive backs. That speed never went away. That speed never quit. Ricky, from the first day he was on the NFL in the NFL to the final year, he always had the speed power combination like nobody else. And speaking of that speed and power, we go back for run number six to 2002 on a snowy day in Buffalo. Since then, against the win, Williams. First down and more. He's off to the races. 30, 20, 10, touchdown. That was a big 200-yard day for Ricky there, although in a losing effort, that particular run put the Dolphins up by four with just five minutes to play in the third quarter, his first of back-to-back 200-yard rushing days. Of course, the snow out there in Buffalo, he had the head mask on, the thing that goes over the top of his head, so his dreads were all tucked up in there, almost unrecognizable until he got the football and did what he does best. A little tiny hole opens up, and from there, Ricky saw the daylight, and he ran to it for a long touchdown there against the Buffalo Bills in 2002. Run number six is going to take us in-state in Florida, but up north in Jacksonville back in 2003. We have a sound clip here from NFL primetime Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, 
And man, if you want to talk about nostalgia, nothing will do it like those two on NFL primetime. Ricky has a serpentine run where he goes back and forth, crosses field, and catches a nice block from Jay Fiedler. Jimmy Johnson's last game. Now watch Jay Fiedler. Hi, Ricky Williams coming around for the first throw. The block. And we've seen him do this many times. Jay Fiedler from Dartmouth. And watch this, huh? Yeah, watch Fiedler. And, and this is the thing I love about Fiedler. He, he's not just trying to get in a guy's way. This block is on Tony Brackens, one of the best defensive right. players in the league, and he clears the way for Ricky Williams. The vision to wind that thing back and find that hole, of course, helps Fiedler get himself in position to make a huge block for a touchdown run in that Week 6 2003 game against Jacksonville. Run number 5, we go back to 2002. And all five of these top five runs could have been number one in any order. I went with this one because it wasn't a touchdown and the other ones were. So we go to play number five in 2002 in Kansas City for run number five on the top 10 Ricky Williams runs in Miami. Ricky Williams, a One that should be holding the right side of his lower back. It ought to be right there. Wesley meets him in the hole, says, see you later, bye. And here's a 20-pound slider, Miami Dolphin running back. I mean, just runs a dude over in the gap and then gets to the second level and throws a defensive back onto the ground. He did get Ricky down with a trip. That's all he was able to do to get him to the ground. But you see the physical, impressive stature there of Ricky Williams to run through tacklers and to throw bodies off of him as he's racing down the sideline. Run number four in the top 10 Ricky Williams runs. We go to 2002 again. On a Monday night, another 200-yard performance, this time against the Chicago Bears. Weird deal, if you gain 20 pounds. Williams inside the 10. First to a tackle, and he is in for the touchdown. He just threaded the quarters, just pushed him out of the way, and goes 15 yards to the end zone. You just got the feeling that he smelled that end zone and he had the determination. The last time you saw the end zone, Erlacher knocked that ball out of there. This time, when I get close again, that thing's going to go in. Watch, he starts in the middle, and now he can do this. He can bounce it. He started in like the, the two hole, bounced it all the way to the outside to the eight hole, and then got it in the end zone. He actually has a longer touchdown run in that game, but I chose this particular run because I thought that it showcased what really made Ricky so special. I talked about it at the top of this list, his ability to get defensive backs and linebackers to commit to the wrong gap and then to bounce it and win with his speed to the corner and then use that stiff arm, that strength, the agility, and the speed, all of it working together to create just a special, special running back. Run number three, and this one's going to be a short one. These next two runs are going to be short ones, but they are both our touchdowns where he jukes out. Two of the better safeties in the NFL over the last couple of decades, one a Hall of Famer and one potentially someday a Hall of Famer. We start with number three against the Baltimore Ravens where he gets the best of Ed Reed. Back in the game, and a great spin move by Ricky Ed Reed will come from the left side of your screen. He'll be the blur. He was on the reverse. Ricky Reed comes in unblocked into the backfield and Ricky has to make a move as he takes the football at the mesh point from the quarterback. He puts the spin move on, the spin cycle, gets out of that tackle and walks into the end zone for a Dolphins touchdown. Run number two is going to be the one against Rodney Harrison. It's a 12-yard touchdown run. It put the game away, Dolphins 27, Chargers 3, after this particular play late in the third quarter. But again, like that run against the Bears, I think this one really showcases just what made him special, getting defensive backs to commit and then bouncing outside and beating them with his speed. Going to have a chance to add some more to it here. Hips outside. To attack. 
right around Rodney Harrison. If he thinks he can take it outside, there's no hesitation. And that was really terrific. A little stutter step. All these impressive runs. We're going to go ahead and finish it here with number one. I think we all know what it is. Bye-bye, Ricky. Bye-bye, Streak against the Jets in 2002. Ricky Williams. And with that run, he's over 100 yards. And boy, a lot more. Look at him go. 20, 10, touchdown. You can hear a very jazzed up, I think it was Pro Player Stadium at the time as Ricky goes into the end zone to put to rest an eight-game losing streak against the New York Jets there in week three as the Dolphins improved to 3-0. It was his third straight game to begin his Dolphins career with 100 yards, a 53-yard strike from Ricky Williams, a big touchdown run there. Those are my top 10 Ricky Williams runs as a Miami Dolphin. You let me know on Twitter which ones you think I missed, where you think I got it right. Let us know all of that on Twitter. And to close out this podcast, I want to do that with a salute to another Dolphins running back, a great Dolphins running back, Jim Kick. We lost Jim over the weekend at age 73. He had a brilliant nine-year NFL career, including the first seven of that career with the Miami Dolphins. This guy was as reliable as they come. Missed just one game in those seven seasons. Only one game missed in a tough, brutal type of run-heavy offense in the 70s NFL, which we know was not an easy time to play football from a physicality standpoint. Those guys got after it. They were tough, physical players. He rushed for 28 touchdowns in Miami, including a career-high nine touchdowns in 1969. He was a pro bowler his first two years, and then he was very selfless in the way he allowed the Dolphins to develop that trio of running backs, which would become the best trio of running backs in the history of the National Football League with Kick, with Larry Sanka, and and Mercury Morris, the best backfield in the history of the game. Kick rushed for 3,759 yards in his career. He also caught a ton of footballs, 221 catches for the Dolphins for 2,210 yards. So a really versatile back that gave the offense that added dimension from the backfield. He also had 401 rushing yards and 115 receiving yards in 11 playoff games, including touchdowns in each of Miami's Super Bowl victories. So Jim Kick, Gone too soon at the age of 73.